Take a seat at the table with us. My name is Anthony Brinson. I'm Deshaun Johnson. I'm Thomas Cobb. And welcome to the Sports Roundtable Podcast. So, MSU football this week, we're playing up against the Rutgers. Coming off of, is it two or three game losing streak? I know we talked about it last week. Three straight losses, looking to avoid the fourth straight. Y'all think they go avoid the fourth? Or is the job going to continue if you can start us off, Deshaun? Okay, so, I mean, we've kind of talked about this topic before, being optimistic versus realistic. I do want to say that this is still one of the more optimistic games that MSU has left on the roster. Um, however, um, I, I don't want to be super unrealistic and create some false hope here. Uh, we've obviously had a rough season, and I think at this point, Thomas, we kind of alluded to this earlier um, before the show, we kind of should start testing out some new things here. Um, there's been a lot of talk around Caden Hauser starting this week. Uh, I'm not completely sure on the confirmations of that, but I, w- I would get behind the idea of it. Um, I mean, Noah Kim, his, he just has not been performing that well in the last three games. Um, I, I got some statistics here. Uh, 519 yards in the last three games, one touchdown to six interceptions, um, three of them just in the last game alone against Iowa in that same game, and he threw sub 200 yards there. We also talk about this, Thomas. I'm not saying that Caden Hauser is going to be the answer to exactly uh, all of our problems. We clearly have a lot of them going for us this year. But no one's going to be mad if we start testing them out. I think a lot of different MSU fans have definitely been alluding to the fact that they want to see Hauser for the chance and a bunch of other things like that. So, um, like I said, I, I'm a bit more optimistic about this game. I'm sure that it's one of the more winnable games. However, I would not be surprised by another loss here and we go four straight. We're bottom in the Big Ten, uh, and I mean bottom, bottom, 0-2. Um, and, and like I said, a potential quarterback change. We we got a lot of things to figure out this year, so I'm hopeful, but not not super hopeful. Yeah, and I think that last week actually gave a lot of fans just kind of a sliver of hope because, yeah. I mean, anyone who watched that game knows that Michigan State should have won uh, if they had taking care of the ball when they needed to, and uh, just, you know, a few things here and there didn't go their way. And, uh, special teams, shank punt, corner turn, going the other way for a touchdown. Right. Those two plays, in essence, lost in the game, a game that they should have won. And so I think, I mean, we talked last week about how it was almost worse for them to lose in that sense than to get blown out because it just kind of, it, the fans were dragged in for three quarters and then, they were let down for the third straight week. But heading into this game, I think that Michigan State definitely has a chance to win. They're coming off of a bye week. They've had two weeks to get fresh. Right. We don't know who's going to jog out at quarterback come come Saturday, but I think all all signs point to Caden Hauser. And Sean and I were talking about it actually before this, how why not? I mean, you got to give the kid give the kid a shot. I mean, Noah Kim has not been what – as advertised so far, I mean, a lot of people had a lot of unrealistic expectations for him, I think. They expected him to come in and can be able to compete with the conference's best quarterbacks. Right. And that, that obviously just hasn't been the case. So I think that it's it's the right decision to go over to Caden Hauser and to give you know the redshirt freshman a chance to, to show what he's got in real meaningful minutes, start to finish. You know Whether he makes it start to finish, who knows? We might see some of the of the freshmen, Sam Leave it in there as well. Also, might see some Noah Kim, mm-hmm. depending on how things go. But all in all, I think that Michigan State has has more of a chance to win this game than they have had the past three weeks. I mean, this this Rutgers team, they're a good football team. I think they surprised a lot of people. 
But when you look at Iowa, Maryland, and Washington, those games, you know, on paper compared to Rutgers, are much more talented games. One hundred percent. And so, I mean, I've been I've been surprised a lot by Rutgers this year. I mean, they've come out, they play good football. They've kind of bucked the trend of being this bottom feeder in in the conference this season. You yes. know, they're sitting at four and two. So, it on paper it seems like it's an unfit matchup for the Spartans, but as you know, as we, we talked about it, there's still some there's still some optim- optimism around it. Definitely, hundred percent. And I just want to add in there too, like uh, something that I wanted to make sure I said. I'm not uh, like I, I think all of us should believe that uh, and this is kind of a push for the Holler situation. The, the Spartans, although their their season has kind of gone astray and it doesn't look like they have lots of hopes for too many major things to happen for them this season, just like not even talking playoffs here. We're just talking about for the team emotionally and whatnot. But I'm not saying they should quit. You know, at no point should I'm saying they should quit. At, 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 at every point, no matter what sport it is, you still got to give it your all. Who knows what could happen next season, depending on the outcomes of this year. Like, I mean, like, we, we got a lot of things ahead of us. And it's definitely going to be in our best efforts to continue to push and continue to try and be the best program that we can be. So I'm definitely not saying we should quit. It's just it, it look we've got to look towards new beginnings for next year. This season has not been the greatest thing for us. Not saying, you know, we definitely shouldn't give up in these games. Still go win them, for sure. Try and win them. Do what you can, but get prepared for next season. Because these games, I mean, ultimately, this, like, winning a game or two here and there could end up being, the uh, like, the defining factor for whether or not a player transfers or not. Yes. Because we have zero idea what's going to happen. I mean, the transfer window's open. I think we've been, we've been lucky in a sense that only a few guys have, have decided to leave. I think it shows that most of the guys are at least committed to this season, you know. Given all that was put into it, you know, they this team they they were excited about this season. Like this was an off season with with Mel Tucker. This yeah. was an off season where they wanted to bounce back from a bad year, and that all just hit the fan. Yeah, you know, week three, uh, Mel Tucker. Obviously, we know what happened, and mm-hmm. everything just sort of spiraled out of control. I was expecting to see more transfers, to be honest with yeah. you, in this yeah. in this transfer window, but. We have zero idea like what this team is going to look uh, to be on paper next year and on the field. Yeah, we have no idea what the coaching staff is going to look like next year. So I think that you know, taking up a win, a quality win. I mean, a win against Rutgers this weekend is a quality win. Yeah, on the road, and you do that, you might be able to get to you know get some guys to buy back in and, and stay. I totally agree. Yeah, and what's evident with everything that happened this um, this season is that MSU is not going to go down without a fight, and like you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned the like just the reminder of not to give up, and that that's not what we're like pushing here. It's just we obviously have the cards stacked against us, and especially if we lose this week. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, next week or the week after is the Michigan game. So it's like we need to win now more than ever. Yes. and the records is probably the best opportunity for us to get it. Otherwise, it's gonna look bad for the foreseeable future. But with that being said, on the other end of the spectrum, we have MSU Madness, formerly known, if I'm not mistaken, as Midnight Madness. If you want to kind of lead the way up, talk about that, Tom. Yeah, so Midnight, or MSU Madness, mm-hmm. formerly known as Midnight uh, Madness, mm-hmm. is the annual celebration of the beginning of the women's and men's basketball seasons at Michigan State. Uh, if you've ever been, you you know that the, the rosters are announced. The, woman, the women's team usually starts... Every single player is announced. They go up on the stage. You know, they do their their little spiel for you know thirty seconds or so, and it's just kind of this this big hype train around the players and celebrating the players and the roster and the beginning of the season. And it's 
it's followed by a scrimmage. So like the the women's team will scrimmage after they're announced, and then the men's team will scrimmage after they're announced, and just kind of giving the fans a glimpse of, of what's to come. I mean, I think it's it's one of the the premier events in in college basketball. I, you see a lot of these these big time schools, big time basketball schools having these events. I know yeah. Duke has it. I know a lot of these you know blue bloods, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. I think Michigan State is at the very least on the cusp of being a blue blood at this point. Mm-hmm. But they have these little preseason hype, you know, like midnight events. Right. And one of the coolest things about it, in my opinion, is that Coach Izzo every single time does something different. So yeah. one year he was shot out of a cannon. As his intro, one year he, you know, was released from the ceiling. One year he was Iron Man. So it, it kind of creates this whole stigma around, you know, what is Coach going to do? What's it going to look like? And there's always a great turnout. I mean, I was there last year. place was buzzing. And the expectations this year compared to last year are, you know, second to none. All right. The expectations this year, Michigan State's coming in, you know, guaranteed top 10 preseason team. Whereas last year they were kind of an, an unknown, you know, yeah. they they didn't get a lot of guys from either recruiting or from the transfer portal, and they got zero people from the transfer portal this year. But the incoming recruits combined with the the senior class and the experience that you know led them to a Sweet Sixteen and almost took them to the Elite Eight, Final Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could argue that you know Michigan State was a, a prayer or two by Kansas State away from you know being in the Final Four. Yeah, and so. That combined with the top five recruiting class, and you've got David Booker and Jeremy Fears, Cohen Carr, Gary Norman, all those guys. They really know how to how to play the Michigan State way, and that's I think that's apparent from Coach Izzo's interviews. He wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. Yeah, you know, with Coach Izzo, what you see is what you get, and he said it himself. He's got a hell of a freshman class, so I think that you know this the the atmosphere tomorrow or Saturday night will be much more exciting than it was last year and you know that's saying something because it's always it's always a scene yeah i totally agree like i mean like he, he hit so many different points for basketball this year thomas i mean it, um honestly I, i'm super excited I, I don't really know how else to phrase it besides i cannot wait for basketball to start this year it should be something that's going to be a really fun pickup event for msu basketball or for the msu students and msu in general especially after what's going on with football as Anthony mentioned, we go to the opposite end of the spectrum, and that's because there's a lot of high expectations for the basketball team this year. And I and I mean, I wouldn't say that they're unreasonable expectations. I think that tomorrow should be a really exciting and eventful event. I mean, like um, just for all you Spartans out there, go out and support your local basketball team. You know what I'm saying? It's a free event. There's no reason that you can't show up. It should be like, like Thomas mentioned. Izzo always knows how to make a show. I mean, the guy. He's not just a great basketball coach. He's a great entertainer, man. I mean, you got to give it to Izzo. He does some great things. The press conferences this year have been really interesting to see. Um, he he's just been overall this year. He's been bringing a lot of hype, and it's been very exciting to see. Um, and I just want to mention, Thomas, you kind of got into it a little bit. I think that it's going to be a great kickoff to the season. Um, I, we're not really talking about it too much in this segment, but you know, like we said, the last show this year is definitely planning out to be a Final Four or bust kind of year. Um, you right. mentioned the, the, the couple prayers away from Kansas State last year being in the Final Four. It, there's just high expectations, and they're, they're justifiable, ready, I'm ready, MSU's ready. I, I just cannot wait for basketball to start this year. Yeah, and and on, on a, like a similar note, the women's team is also stacking up to be to have high expectations. They are. I mean, obviously the new coach, Robin Fralick from Bowling Green, I think, I personally think that it was a slam dunk hire. 
Uh, Robin Freilich is known for her ability to, to turn programs around. You know, they did lose some some girls in the in the portal, but they also gained a lot of players from Bowling Green. Yep. And so I think that that sort of establishes the kind of coach that she is. You know, you always want to have a coach who, you know, players want to follow her. And that's exactly what we saw, you know, two or three transfers from, from Bowling Green and shows that, you know, hey, I'm going where you I'm going where you're going because you're that good of a coach. And right. that's the kind of relationship we have. To me, that means everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, like you mentioned, Robin Freilich is definitely the ideal hire that we want to have for the game, for the season this year. Uh, I'm thinking that, like you mentioned, Thomas, there's so many different people that um, are looking at, Fre- at Freilich this year and thinking she's going to be able to turn this program around, which it's not like the program needs a huge turnaround. It's just we haven't been as successful as we would ideally like to be um, for MSU basketball, MSU women's basketball these last couple of years. However, you mentioned the, the kind of program, the, the players buying into Freilich's like, system. We've got a mixture of veteran and, and new-faced players this year. Um, one of the, uh, like, I mentioned this a couple shows ago, but one of the players that was constantly mentioned from players like uh, from Mo Joyner and from Dee Hageman was Bree Robinson. She's a freshman coming in this year. And they're already saying that she's been able to really buy into what Freilich has been, has been preaching into this leadership and coming together as a team. Uh, I, I remember Mo Joyner and Didi Hagerman both saying, and Gabby Elliott all saying that Bria has been able to step in as a freshman and immediately come close to connecting with the team. She's been able to step up and show that she's a leader, even though she's just a young new face. So right. I definitely think that multiple players are going to buy into this year. And it's somewhat on the similar story of the basketball team. We've got new faces, we've got older faces. So it's going to be a good mixture of players this year who are hopefully going to be able to blend. We've got leaders that should be able to lead some of these new faces, and I think that it could be a really good year for basketball. I'm super excited for both men and women's basketball throughout this year. Yeah, and like I mentioned a few towards the beginning of Sports Roundtable with bringing you guys on, you guys are very, like I would say, very great journalists and very busy people as well. And if I was trying to talk um, while Deshaun was talking, trying to ask Thomas if he'd want to announce a special announcement with uh, college basketball this year, with MSU College Basketball. So, yes, I um, um, was very grateful to receive the, the news that I will be the men's basketball reporter for this, this winter. Absolutely. Something, that, something that's been, you know, in the back of my mind ever since I got into to journalism in, in high school, even, you know, being able to, to follow this team, specifically Michigan State men's basketball. Basketball has always been my love. Michigan State's always been my love. Right. And so to be able to do it on, at this platform at such a uh, valued, you know, storied institution like the state news it just is really, it's really special for me and you know words can't describe how lucky i am how grateful i am and you know i i wouldn't be anywhere without the state news i mean the state news has, has brought me through this entire process you know it's been a lot of learning on the job but that's what it's that's what it's all about you know last year as a city reporter reporting on local politics you know that was not that was foreign to me it was, it was like a different language and it was all worth it because you know, I'm I'm where I want to be, and like I said, I just couldn't I couldn't be happier, and I have no words to describe how grateful I am for everybody here, and it's just it's just an outstanding outstanding recognition that I, I'm not sure I deserve at this point. <laughs> well, in my opinion, you definitely deserve it just for meeting you and having you on Sports Roundtable. I definitely want to tell you just from me that I'm proud of you, man, and I know you're gonna do great work. And Deshaun, we can always talk about the things you have planned coming up as well, and I know we. Probably mentioned this at the end of the episode, but we might have to take a week off because these two are very busy individuals, <laughs> and 
just proud to see where y'all going. I'm just glad I had the opportunity to give y'all this platform and then to see y'all grow. But thank you, man. Yeah, yeah no problem. Like, like we mentioned a couple times, man. Thank you. We we do greatly appreciate. And Deshaun, you want to talk about yourself a bit? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Uh, I just uh, Thomas is obviously it's, it's hard to follow that one up, <laughs> but um, I, I am luckily and gratefully given the opportunity to cover women's basketball as the beat reporter this year. So. Uh, alongside Thomas, well, not exactly alongside, but just along with him, I'll be covering women's basketball, and we'll be able to go all over the different topics this year. I'm excited to talk about those topics on the podcast. Um, I'm a new face here at the State News, so like you mentioned, Thomas, I'm super grateful for the opportunities yeah. they, that the State News has already offered me. Well deserved. It, it, I appreciate that so much, and, I, and, and that's how everyone here has made me feel. Um, I've been trying to do as much work as I can since I've been here, so I, I, I'm ready to go for this season. Uh, you mentioned Thomas basketball is my sport, man. Like, I mean, I, I love the sport. Like, I know it like the back of my hand. So the moment the opportunity was offered to me, I it was I couldn't say no to it. I absolutely cannot say no to it. I actually wasn't given a choice to say no to it. <laughs> but no, seriously, I mean, like, it, it, we talked about it a little bit. I, Coach Robert Felix is going to be coming in this year. There's a lot of new buzz, so. I cannot wait. Um, I've said that I don't know how many times the show already, but now the fact that I'm going to be reporting and covering the team is going to be a whole new aspect that I'm excited for. Yeah, let's let's do it, man. Yeah, I'm ready to do it. season makes the season even more exciting. And since we can all agree that basketball is some of our favorite uh, sports and our specialties a bit, I was talking to Deshaun off um, the mic that ESPN released the top 50 NBA players of the preseason uh, before the season starts and. If you guys want to react to the list, y'all want to pull it up real quick. I got um, on my end, they split it up between 50 to 11 and then 1 to 10. So, Well, I know Deshaun and I will have some disagreements about <laughs> uh, about this, the number one pick. Why don't you start? I think we all will have some disagreements. But so, Deshaun? yeah, all right. So, yeah, I mean, I want to say that we kept the focus kind of on the top 10 here. Um, this is a very long list, and if maybe we want to take another shot at discussing some of the other players before the start of the season. Um, I definitely think we go there, but uh, this top ten, I, I'm gonna be honest, I don't have major problems with the list. I didn't think that it was a terrible list. I mean, um, before we get to the, some of the top players, we can go. Um, we can just kind of list off some of the players that had in the back end. Uh, the duo of Anthony Davis and LeBron James to make it in the last two spots on the list. You got some young faces in there. You got Shy in there, which is kind of surprising to see. Not too surprising, but it's just like the top ten. You start to get into a different echelon there, and you hope that Shy is gonna be able to compete there. He's been playing really good. Um, Jason Tatum above KD, which I thought was a little bit, um, a little bit suspect, but like I said, no major problems with this list. So I'm just gonna move into number one and number two here. I think that, um, like like Thomas said, we may have a little bit of disagreement, but I mean, uh, we can go there if he wants to. You got Giannis coming in at number one, which I was believing Nikola Jokic to come in at number two. I think that um, a lot of people may there be a, there may be a lot of discussion around this topic area of the list. However, I will say that I agree with Giannis being up there at the top. I think that Giannis is playing has been the number one player for surely the, the last two and maybe even the last three years. I think that the, the passing of the torch went from, I mean, for most people, at least for me, it was kind of like LeBron James stepping down, and then you also have the Steph Curry right there. But it immediately all shifts to Giannis once his dominance started to take over. So I, I, I'm sure some people are going to have a big problem with Jokic not being at number two. I would hear the arguments. I'm definitely going to hear your argument. I'm not saying that it's not a justifiable, but I think that Giannis is going to have another big opportunity to prove himself this year. Dame's going to be able. I'm sure some people think that Dame would take away a little bit from the Bucks offense. However, I think that he's going to be able to create so many more different opportunities for Giannis to like aspire this year. 
So we're definitely going to see. Um, one more thought that came to my mind before Jan, or before Thomas it looks like he wants to bite my head off. So I, I probably, I'm going to let him go. But just one more thought that kind of came to my mind was just that it's crazy, the transition that we're seeing in the NBA. Like, I, I feel like it's gone back and forth a couple of different times throughout the history. But we're moving back into focusing on the more taller and athletic players of the NBA. One, two, and three, all centers. You can give Giannis as the one exception, who's really a forward, just a very tall and long forward for that matter. But you got Giannis up there, Jokic, and then you've got um, Joel Embiid, which I mean, it's 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 kind of crazy just not to see you know a Steph Curry up there, where uh, obviously he hasn't been a top ten. Uh, he, he's been a top guard, but not in the top ten in a while. But like a Kyrie Irving or someone like that, like you would expect to see a very skillful point guard at least in the top three. Yet you see it full of big men. Which is just a cool, it, it's a cool and crazy transition that we're seeing. And I think the first hint that we got was back in the offseason. You had the contracts like Damian Lewis contract and James Harden right. contract that were not getting picked up. James Harden is still yet to have his contract picked up by anybody. And then you got Chris Paul, he's traded away. The Suns look for a new way of looking for the championship. They've obviously tried for the last couple of years with him and it just hasn't panned out. It's just, it, it, there's nothing wrong with these guys. They're obviously great players. You guys know how I feel about Damian Lillard. Like, I mean, I'm super ecstatic about him. However, this transition does not favor the shorter guards that aren't playing defense. This transition is there for the the six 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 seven guys who are able to score on one end and play high end defense on the other end. So it's it's a it's an amazing transition that we're going to see, especially with some of these newer players coming in the week, like Lembanyana and and Holmgren. So yeah, I just feel I just feel bad for the end like the the up-and-coming centers in the league because now Jokic and Embiid have set that precedent. Yep. So, the, like, in the, in the sense that, like, like to win an NBA Finals, you got kind of have to have a floor spacer at that position. Yeah. You know, Jokic and Embiid, they're practically point guards. You know, Jokic, at some points last year, was the point guard on the floor. Like, yep. they would space forwards all around him and let him take the ball off the court. And so I think that that just is very... It's a very difficult precedent for, for some of these up-and-coming centers to follow. I mean, Zach E's been the best center in college basketball, mm-hmm. at least this past year and probably will be this year. But, you know, Good he, chance. he's nothing like that as a player. You right. know, he's a sit-in-the-paint guy. And now that we have this, this, this hierarchy of bigs to the point where, you know, you don't really succeed unless you have a big man who can knock down a three. And, you know, that's just it, – it's tough for these for these for some of these, you know, Sit in the post and grind it out, guys. Yeah. Coming from the Big Ten, coming from you know the Big Twelve, the right. schools that that like to play bully ball, and you know like it's not it's not that deep. I mean, Giannis. <laughs> I have nothing. I have nothing but respect for Giannis. I think he's an outstanding player. I think he's an outstanding human being. Yeah. It just I just think it depends on how like what do you see somebody as the number one player as? Do you see the number one player as someone who's extremely solid on like? In all aspects of the game, because I mean, no one's denying that Giannis is miles better defensively than Jokic, mm-hmm. and you know their their offensive numbers. While Jokic, you know, has a slight edge on him in that, Giannis still puts up his points. Yeah, Giannis still gets his assists. But if you watch Jokic play, I don't see how you can say this is not the most skilled basketball player in the world. Okay, because with the way that he just he plays and the way that he gets his teammates involved. He he could score zero points in a game, the team wins, and he's happy. Yeah. You know, like you couldn't say that. You, like you couldn't say that about Giannis. Right, I, right. I don't think you couldn't. You definitely couldn't say that about Embiid. You know, these guys are guys that you know they're looking to get theirs. And as for Jokic, he's just trying to win. 
and he doesn't care. He he sees he views the NBA as his day job. He'd rather be back in Serbia riding his horses. <laughs> and in my perspective, that makes him that makes him the best player in the world because he just goes out there. He gets his guys involved. He plays team basketball. I mean, three years ago, I heard him say. A basket makes one person happy, an assist makes two people happy. Yeah. And, you know, like, as a guy who, you know, English is obviously a second language, like, he, like that's just something that stood out to me because it, he's, it was just a, such a genuine thing to say. You could tell he really meant it, and he really felt that. I mean, a lot of these guys, I feel like, just kind of are, are, are PR trained, and, you know, they know what to say, what to say. Jokic mm-hmm. doesn't have PR. No, Jokic, Jokic speaks his mind. He has never had a lick of social media. Right. He just goes out there. He... Feeds his guys in the corner. He feeds his guys under the rim, and he wins Finals MVP. And he walks away, and he goes and rides his horse back <laughs> to Serbia. No, like I said, like I, like I'm not, I'm not saying anything you said is unbal or invalid. There, it's the the thing I'm really looking forward to this year is I think that um, Giannis has has showed his his dominance on a basketball team. However. Don't get me wrong, the Bucks have done a pretty good job at building a team around him. However, it seems like they were getting a little bit old and falling apart while Giannis is still in the in the very prime of his years. Like I mean Right. Uh, yeah, you know, for sure. There's issues obviously with Chris Middleton. I he's he's an elite player, however, his injury history has just not been going well for them. It's been falling a little bit on the south side. Um, you really got no other players that are really there to help space the floor. I think the last two times that we've seen the Bucks in the postseason Giannis is, he's, you know, he's, he's dropping 30, 40 balls, you know, just driving to the paint. However, when it comes down to crunch time, they don't have a closer to kick the ball to and trying to hit a three-pointer for them to, to help secure the game. So I think that's been one aspect of it that's been, a, like, difficult for Giannis to figure out. And I'm sure that, like you mentioned, Jokic is all about team ball. Giannis is definitely one of the more ball-heavy players, give him the ball type of thing. However, one thing that I'm definitely looking forward to is that he talked in one of his recent press conferences, I think it was on media day, just how he's prepared to play and move a little bit for Damian Lillard. Um, I, I don't saying this obviously isn't a hot take. I, I don't want anybody to think it is coming from my mouth. Obviously, I love Dame, but Giannis is obviously a better player than Dame. He's, he's the number one player right. as far as his list goes. Right. But knowing that Giannis is going to be prepared to move over and make some space for Dame is a great thing. Also, on the other side of that, Dame has clearly talked about Giannis being a better player than him, which is a good sign to see because. You would see two. Sometimes you could see top dogs going into two teams like that, and even though most of the people are clear that Giannis is better, Dame could go in there thinking that, oh, I'm still better than Giannis, and he's gonna have to defer to me and all this. So, I, like I said, I'm really hoping that this year is gonna be able to create a lot of opportunities, and Giannis is gonna be able to go back to that player he's able to kick, play freely, and then once things start to get clogged up, he can kick, and then that back and forth rotation kind of starts. So, like I said, I, I don't invalidate anything you said about Jokic. He's an outstanding player. A couple of years ago, I would have been deep in this argument, but I, I've learned watching him over the last two years, like really trying to get to know his play style. It's amazing the things that he can do at his size and at his speed. He's right. one of those. He's one of those I control the tempo type players, just like a little bit. The Europeans have uh, been really good at controlling the tempo of the game. So I, Jokic is definitely right there. It's they mentioned in the listing that this is one of the slimmest margins they've ever had right. for number one. Right. So it's not like they're saying... They're such these, different players. Yeah, they're, they're completely different players, which makes it hard to compare. Um, but the one thing that we do know is that we've got some really good big men in the league. We've had some, and we're, it's going to continue to be that way for the next couple of years. I have two questions for you, though. Okay. And just answer them briefly. All right. Who do you think is better right now, the Bucks or the Nuggets? Currently constructed, it may sound unfair, but I think that 
the Nuggets are still a better constructed team. Um, the Bucks have got a really good setup here. However, I think there's still something. But, I mean, it's obviously a new team, so we still don't even know what they're going to pan out to be yet. And the Nuggets are coming up. I will, you know, I will say that it's not as much of a different. I, I keep forgetting that you guys lost Bruce Brown, which I think is a huge piece. Um, yeah, I would just I, the the slight edge that I'm giving, and I and I mean it, a slight edge that I'm giving the Nuggets right now is just the fact that they're still there are a pre-constructed team versus the Bucks adding in a huge new piece. It's not like it's just a small couple move on. It's a huge new piece to add in. I think it's set up to be to pan out really well, but we still have to see. So if this is like this is the second part of the question. Okay. If Giannis and Jokic switch teams, switch places, who would be better? Which if Gian- team? If Giannis and Jokic switch so teams, who would be better? Who would be better? Jokic's Bucks or Giannis's Nuggets right now? Mm, you would have to say Jokic's Bucks. I, I I don't know, man. I mean. Giannis with Jamal Murray? No, I mean, still, like, I think they would. I think the Bucks would still be in somewhat of the same situation that they're currently constructed in right now of it being a hard kickout team. Um, I like I like Porter Jr., however, I haven't seen him since his struggles of last year, so we... I, I, I would have to agree that you're right on that. You're right on that phrase as well. But you mentioned they're just two different players. It's kind of hard. It's still hard to make those comparisons or answer the questions like that because I think that they provide two different aspects to their teams. Depending on what's there, but I, I I hear you. I just think that if I'm an NBA franchise owner or GM, and I have one person to 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 build around, it's Jokic because all you need is shooters and guys who can play defense. Like if you surround Jokic with two three and D's at the guard position and two, you know, like stretch forwards that can shoot and play defense, you're in a good spot. Yeah. Whereas for Giannis, you kind of need. Like you kind of need these skill guys all over because he's 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 dominant mm-hmm. offensively because of his 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 frame and his athleticism and all that. But he doesn't have the kind of skill set offensively that Jokic has. He does not. You know, like there's a reason they had to go out and get Dame. There's a reason that you know it didn't work out with Chris Middleton as number two option. Mm-hmm. And it just to me, you know, the fact that Jokic won with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, like that. That says it all to me. Jamal Murray's a good player, though. I think he really tra- he had a chance to prove that last year. I, 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 just one more small comment. I know we've been going on this for a while. I, I, I one thing I'm really looking forward to this year because I, I haven't always had the biggest amount of love for Jamal Murray. I, I'm gonna be watching very hard to see how many what the shots that Jokic and Jamal Murray make this year. I, I don't know how many. I, I should really go back and watch it. Multiple times, Jokic falling off his feet. He's throwing the Adam Sandler jump shot behind his head, and it goes shuffle. in. It's ridiculous. Jamal Murray doing the same thing. He's catching. He's coming off pick and rolls, catching passes <laughs> with less than two seconds up there, and he's just firing it, and it's going in. So, but no, Jamal Murray is a good player. I, I'm not gonna go there for Michael Porter Jr. I, I, I think that he has potential. However, he's got to figure it out. But I, I mean, it's not I, the Storms' basketball. No, no. But I, Bruce Brown is also a really good addition. I, 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 obviously, Jokic is the powerhouse of that team. But I don't think that the roster is like. <laughs> I mean, Thomas, you stole a lot of what I was gonna say. Um, I definitely agree. Jokic had one. I really like the question you asked if they switch teams, just because it depends on what you prefer. I mean, Giannis, like you said, Giannis is the better defender. Jokic is the better facilitator. 
we saw which one won a championship last year, especially since one of these two players got beat by AC. But sure. you know, you know, yes, um, sure. with him being kind of injured, with context, a little bit of context being removed, but um, I just flipped them, Jokic and uh, Giannis at one and two. But I got I got a few hot takes as far as the order of this list because I don't I don't necessarily disagree with the ten. There's one player I put at ten, and you can debate if he could uh, make the top ten or fall just outside of it, but. Before I go, when I ask, would you guys switch up the order around the top ten? Would you put somebody in there? Because I was gonna ask you, um, do you agree with Lillard not being top ten? So um, I do agree with Lillard not being a top ten player. Um, don't get me wrong. I think like I I do think that he is like still a top three point guard in this league. However, it's the dynamic of what we talked about um, a couple weeks ago with the whole ranking point guards and how that goes. There's there is a max potential of what you can do as a guard for your team versus. Look, listen to this list. I mean, how many people under six three are on this list? I think Steph I think Curry and well, Shy might be the only two people. How, how tall is Shy? I, I think, think like, Shay is um like at least six for them. Steph, and then Steph he's what six two six three. Yeah, most so. of these players on this list are above six five at least. So it's I, I, like I, I think it's hard. It's if if this was a top point guard list, Dame. If Dame wasn't, if I didn't see his name by number three, I would be. I I, I would lose my mind. Mm-hmm. However, when you start to try and rank these positions, it's just the uh, almost every other player on this list can be more effective than Damian Lillard, guaranteed at least on defense. Mm-hmm. It there's only one player on here that I can see that almost plays no defense at all. Because even Steph Curry, he's got some really quick hands. Mm-hmm. Luka Doncic hasn't been known to play some room. Hasn't had to really play any defense in this league. So, mm-hmm. like, that is the one I'm questioning because he's obviously a rising star. Um, I think I'm good with most of the list order. The one that I'm just very curious about, and it's, I have no doubt, I think he's an amazing talent. It's just, like I said, putting top 10 is a whole new echelon. I, I got to see Shy perform as a top 10 player this year. Mm-hmm. To, when you start asking me questions like, is Dame, should Dame be in there? <coughs> and Shy is in there. So, that's the only one that I'm, like, on the edge of. Yeah. yeah, I was definitely surprised about that. Um, obviously he had a heck of a year, but I don't know if he's proven to be that that MVP caliber player yet. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, you heard all, like a lot of the narratives last year were you know Shy eventually will be an MVP, and I don't I don't doubt that, especially mm-hmm. considering I I don't I wouldn't count it out. I'll say just because you know they're the Thunder are the ones at the top mm-hmm. and only top. They I mean, are. They're have a gazillion draft picks mm-hmm. in the next ten years. I mean, they've probably, they probably, like, I don't know how much, like how, how many draft picks they have. First rounders. It's probably like fifteen in the next like five amount. years. It's it's just they're on this trend where I could see them. You know, and even if guys don't even work out, you could you can go trade them. Yeah, you can go trade them for, for more picks or more players. And so I think that with the right team around him, he definitely could could fall in that. In that category, but I just, I just don't think he's there yet. He had a great year. We've also seen guys have that kind of year, mm-hmm. you know, where it's just you're putting up the numbers, but you know the team isn't isn't there yet to to show why you deserve that MVP, yeah. that MVP spot. Yeah, and then once we finish your list, but just to add on real quick to what you said, you also got to remember that they also just drafted Holmgren, and we have to see how that transition is going to go with Brigham in, as you mentioned. If he don't work out, trade him. He, he was the number two pick just, what, two years ago? However, you also got Josh Giddey there. You got Holmgren. You got Shy. They're young, and they're all very good, explosive players. However, you have to start figuring out 
how ball sharing is going to go for their team, especially with more draft picks coming in. You got to figure out more of the the, the, the the couple small bolts of the team and figure out how to really put it together. Because I totally agree. We've seen the jump that the Kings made just this past year. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that the potential for the Thunder is even better than that because the team that the Kings built was still through a process of picking up different pieces and drafting. The Thunder have, as you mentioned, they have multiple draft picks coming in. They just draft. I mean, I think look, look, what, like I said, Giddy has just got there. Shy just got there. Chet Holmgren just got there. I mean, they've got they've had somebody game, yeah. Yeah, no, I, but no, but I mean, just the the, the the aspect of high draft picks that they've already brought in right. is insane. Yeah, sure. So yeah, they they've got a huge potential coming up, basically. But go ahead, finish that list, man. I definitely want to hear what you got to say about this. So, like you guys, you guys both mentioned a lot of great points and. It just messed you a bit. It's interesting how you agree Lillard's not top 10, but Steph is, like, so high on the list. Such a big gap between those two players. Almost as if one's clearly better than the other. But with that being said, so I flip, I personally flip Jokic and Giannis at um, one or two. And then I have a, I have a very have a scorching hot take with a certain player on this list. So the highest I personally put Embiid on this list is seven. I don't personally wow. see him as a top three player because similar to Shea, and I also agree with y'all, Shea should be, I personally put Shea at 10 just because of the point I'm about to make with be even more so, but we don't see no playoff experience from him. Now, obviously the Thunder haven't been a play, suitable playoff team, but we don't know how he perform in an environment when the stakes are highest, when the competition is highest. So great regular season, cool, but we haven't ever really seen him battle tested. And with Embiid, so the, the source of this uh, take for me becomes between Embiid and AD. And a lot of people are hard on AD to his inconsistency, but Embiid, if I'm not mistaken, went out like 15 points in Game 7, in elimination game. And then Game 6 didn't play as good either. And then this has been a repeated cycle from Embiid in, in the playoffs. So it's like if we're taking – if we're talking about inconsistencies, a player was supposed to be MVP caliber, the MVP, didn't he win MVP last year? Yeah, he won that 15 points in Game 7, it's like – that that don't really that don't scream top three player to me. I mean, we've seen Luca perform better in the playoffs. Obviously, Steph. I would personally say AD. Just if we go off like the bubble or AD's defense being more, in my opinion, a bit more consistent than Embiid. So I personally got AD over Embiid. And then with me having that take, it kind of restructures it restructures the list a lot because even as a LeBron fan, due to his age, I wouldn't put like him over Embiid. So I restructured the list of having like Jokic, Giannis, and then. Luka and Steph is such a hard debate for me because Luka is my second favorite player in the league, and even if we go unbiasedly, I mean, I consider him like the six foot six Jokic. Like him and Jokic play very similar, and then the only difference is Jokic is obviously seven feet tall. But Steph Curry, I mean, if we if I'm being consistent with my take of like playoff performance, Steph has gone out there time and time again and went insane. Like obviously against the Kings, he held his own, and then in the finals, just coming off a championship, they predicting like Chris Paul may be a Big, big enough addition to kind of <laughs> keep them in contention. So it's like, we'll see about that. That one. yeah, we'll see. Steph and Luca. I mean, you could flip flop them. I'm personally, this is this would also be a hot take if they didn't already rank it. But I would personally keep Tatum over KD ever since my take has been similar to a uh, YouTuber. Shout out B Souls, basketball YouTuber. Tatum over KD ever since 2021. Like ever since they swept KD in them, and Tatum kind of had KD on lockdown a bit. Ever since then, I've had Tatum over KD personally, but it's real close. And yeah, then, that, that, that really is a scorching hot take. Yeah, that's why I say it would be more hot if, like, ESPN didn't already do it, and then with 2021 didn't happen, but I know Deshaun 
said like Tatum over KD is a bit questionable. And then once we get from there, I mean, you could you can go and be LeBron, AD at J, or I wrote down I got LeBron at seven, AD at eight, and B at nine. But having MB barely top ten is like that's very scorching hot take for him to have the regular season uh, he did. So I'm cool with putting him just under KD if you'd want to flip flop it and then. Shea at 10. I mean, yeah. are we really saying Shea is better than people like Devin Booker? I mean, Damian Lillard, you can even have that our conversation. Right. I know John Morant is not a uh, easy name right now due to what's going on, but I mean, it would put him better than Ja. I mean, even if you would say, yeah, you would put Shea over all those players, it's still a very close debate between all of them. But I know the more hot take here is in B so low. So <laughs> do you have any thoughts on that, Deshaun? I just think that. I understand what you're saying with MB not having great playoff success. However, the injuries, although they're not his fault, he is judged for them a little bit. Like I mean, that has been a part of his downfall in the postseason. However, I don't want to put this all on him because you mentioned, you know, his 15 in Game Seven. James Harden had one of the worst playoff outings I've ever seen. Oh, y'all want to get me started? Y'all want to get me started on Harden? People really try to play him top three shooting guards a lot of time. It's it's disrespectful. Like, I understand their history with that. That's a whole new tangent. But I, James Harden had one of the worst playoff performances. He, he's continued to not – he just like Joel Embiid has continued to not show that he has not been the greatest performer in the playoffs. I honestly – and this could be a hot take. I'm not sure. I think Joel Embiid needs to get out of Philadelphia immediately. That's not a hot take. I agree. He needs to get up out of there, man. I don't think they got it right for him at all. Daryl Morey – I know James Harden's had a lot of hot takes on him, but – I, I, like some some of these guys, don't get me wrong. I'm not doubting their basketball knowledge or credibility, but however, there's been so many bigger stars out here. And if I was the bigger star, that was Joel Embiid's uh, caliber. And we we got this nonsense going on with James Harden's contract right now. He's still on the team, and we we're we're losing some of our new players that are coming in. We got Tyrese Maxey, who's been talking. We've got all types of talks about what's going to happen with him. Halliburton left, and he went to the Blazers. So you know, it's. It, it doesn't seem like they're making great roster moves there. If I'm in beat, I'm getting out of there. But I, I truly, I mean, I don't want to say seven six are the only thing that like are part of like Joel Embiid's like like not great playoff performance. He does have to play better in the playoffs, and hope and he's got another year to show it. As you mentioned, he had a great regular season. He won his second scoring title, which I I, I think is a big deal for centers. Like I mean, I'm not sure how many centers have won uh, cons- uh, multiple scoring titles, considering back to back scoring titles. So, uh, Joel Embiid, I, I think he's in a rightful spot. I can understand maybe moving down, you know, maybe one or two, but then you start getting back into that power dynamic I go to of what is a center, what what, what comes with a center versus moving in, you know. But because you mentioned, we, we've seen Luka have some good playoff performance. However, him and Kyrie just missed the playoffs this past year. So, there's something for there's something for him right there. Um, Steph Curry obviously just coming recently off the championship. I, I understand him being there, and and that 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 slight you threw right there. Okay, <laughs> I, I heard it. I felt that. Okay, that that has nothing to do with the two. Like I said, if this is a point guard ranking, and I understand that Steph still gets stuck above, that has everything to do with championships and people like death roster. I mean, is Lillard even a top three point guard? I mean, let's let's pop for real. Let's pop because we got Steph and Luca. And then Shay Shay made the list. Damien made the list. So how, are we potting for real? Are, are we talking? Are you, are I'm just asking. You sure you? I'm, just, I'm just asking you a question. You Is Lillard even a top three point guard in the league right now? He's easily a top three point guard. So who you put him over Shay? I would I would put him over Shay. I would put him over Devin Booker. You, you can't I think Devin Booker too. I wouldn't. It's a shooting guard. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. That's fine. But yeah, 
I wouldn't put him over Devin Booker league-wide. So, I mean, if we if we include Booker, I mean, nah, you nah, can make argument. Not even talk. I'm putting him over Devin Booker. Bro, you do realize you're talking about Devin Booker and Steph Curry right now? You know what they both have in common? What? Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, all right? I, I you know mean, what they also both have in common? They play better than KD on the team. Two finals MVPs. Prove it. Prove it. KD went We got two, pictures of Steph getting quadruple team. KD had two final MVP, two final MVPs on that team. He was the leading scorer on those teams. Got, wait, nah, nah, all right, I'm done. I'm I mean, done. listen, if I'm, I'm getting done. four I'm people done. on me, I'm going to pass to KD, too. I'm just saying. I'm done. KD also hasn't, when he left Steph, he got swept, too. So we knew, we know who need who. Steph went and got his without KD. Right. Before and after KD. All right. All right. <laughs> so, um, yes, I mean, Joel's, Joel's obviously a great player, and I like the points you made about Philly. Definitely not a hot take about Harden. I mean, this could be a whole other separate segment on James Harden and even though, coincidentally, in that same series, I think Harden had, like, a 40-point game when Embiid either, I think, either he missed the game or he kind of had, like, a so-so game. So. He did. He, he had a 40-point game. I want to say it was a game three or game four. Yeah, so Harden, Harden is a whole other thing. And then with him wanting to switch teams, Harden's a whole other conversation. But do you have any uh, comments about the Embiid situation or just the, the rants we just went on? I mean, I just – I think that Embiid is, like, he's a tremendous player. I just I I'm gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how these next few years how these next few years play out. I mean, mm-hmm. does he does he reach that next level? Obviously the closest he's been was twenty nineteen. Yeah. When Kawhi hit the the infamous shot that hit the rim about fourteen times. But Mario Albert, one guy. <laughs> but I just think that like this is a very pivotal moment in his career mm-hmm. because and B, he he's at that that point where people are starting to see that he's more of a individual player, and like the 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 main difference between him and Jokic is that Embiid, you can tell he cares about individual yeah. athletes. Yeah. You know, I remember back in twenty twenty one, or yeah, twenty twenty one, when Jokic won his second time, and. No, wait, so that would be 2022. 2022, you'll be yes. one his second time. Yep. And it was a pivotal game five in the playoffs, conference semis. And Embiid was, I think he just had an abysmal stat line mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And after the game, it was like the day after Jokic was announced as, as the MVP. And like it was this whole controversy. You know, Embiid should have won it, this, there, that. Stephen A. Smith, oh, I voted for Embiid. Everyone started to hop on that train. Mm-hmm. And Embiid basically sat in the post-game press conference and was like pouting, saying, "I don't know, I don't know what you guys look like, what people want me to do. Like, I don't, I don't know what more I can do to win MVP." And it's like, dude, you just lost this game for your team. Now you're down three-two in the series. Why are you focusing on the MVP? Mm-hmm. You know. And then you ask Jokic about actually winning the MVP, and he's like, "I'm just happy we won today." Yeah, yeah. And, and that just kind of separates those two automatically you know the mindset it's just that that getting out of your own head sometimes can just make all the difference and I know that has nothing to do with I guess what I started with but how it's a pivotal moment in his career but I just think that people are starting to see that Embiid's more about you know the accolades and he needs to he needs to get there he needs to get to that conference final he needs to get to that NBA final if not win and he needs to do it efficiently. He needs to do it as the leader, and I, I, I don't, I don't see it happening. I, I don't think that he's that kind of big kind of performer. 
Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's going to happen or not, but I actually see the the point you were trying to make there. I mean, like, I, I agree with you. It's a pivotal moment because we, we've we seen the last of years that, that Joel Embiid is about individual awards. However, he has won MVP now, so there's no more I, I'm focusing on that. It should now be a time where he's like, I've got the MVP. I've got two scoring titles. You know, I'm, I'm number three on ESPN's ranking list. I need to go do the only thing that will separate me from the rest of these guys, go win a championship. Make it to the conference finals. Make it to the finals. Do something more than getting bounced in the second round. So I, you're, you're right, Thomas. He, he should definitely find the mindset this year of I gotta figure this out. I, I gotta, I gotta, yeah. I gotta do this too. This is the another MVP is not gonna change anything. That was kind of what was happening with Jokic in the other two years. Is that like he was getting bounced in early playoff matches, and everyone's like, why is this guy winning MVP? Right. He's yeah. finally, he, he's finally able to prove himself, and everyone sees the same story could happen for Joel Embiid. If he could go out there and prove himself in the postseason, so I, I do understand what you're saying. It, it could be very eventful. However, I'm not sure of the success of that story. However, it, it hasn't really shown us, and I, I don't think it's going to happen in Philadelphia, unfortunately. Yeah, and in our close, I just want to ask: Do you guys feel Embiid deserved the MVP that year? I think me and Thomas, I have a similar answer, but I think he did. Really? Um, I was talking to somebody about this today, actually. I think that. Embiid deserved that MVP, but Jokic deserved it this year. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I, I think that. And I also think that you could argue that Giannis deserved the Jokic's first year. I mean, mm-hmm. like, those three guys have just been in this this this, this triangle for, for MVP, and I think that it could have gone either way every single time. Yeah, and from my personal <laughs> opinion, I'll leave, it at, I'll leave it my point at this, just during that whole season, because this could be a whole other rant, my answer is Jokic. I feel Jokic should have been three-time MVP. Every time when, and there, this is documented proof, DeMarcus Cousins is the first person that pops up in my head, but when you ask, like, why is Jokic MVP? And then you give, like, okay, he's doing this and this and that, he's breaking records, all this, et cetera. Every time somebody was asked why MB was deserving MVP, I mean, he didn't get it the other two years, so this has got to be his year. Like, I could have just been ignorant to the like the actual argument, but every time I try to be like, okay, like Embiid's a great player. There's a very easy argument you can make for Embiid being MVP right now. I mean, scoring title, record. Why every time to talk about him getting MVP, it was he hasn't got the last two years, so we got to give him this year. It felt like a pity MVP to me personally, especially with how Embiid carried this up about it and then just the fact that nobody actually made a basketball argument. It was just the fact that Jokic has gotten the last two. And then I think DeMarcus Cousins said in that interview, like, the point you made about like Jokic is getting these MVPs, and I think he literally said, "Jokic, if we make Jokic a three-time MVP, we got to put them up there. We got to put him up there with Kareem as one of the greatest centers of all time." Like, why not? Why would you? I mean, there's. I feel like that's a relevant point. Like, I mean, you can make the argument, okay, three-time MVP, greatest center of all time. I don't. I don't personally think those had to necessarily connect. And then, right. ironically enough, he won the championship anyway. So yeah. it's like we could have had a very. I'm, I'm totally year. with you there. So totally. it just. It's very frustrating. Even if you do want to go as far, I would I would have personally felt like, let's say he got the third MVP and didn't win, and people start considering him great center or, or one of the greatest, I feel like that would be a bit far. But with him getting the championship, proving it, going through the likes of LeBron, AD, KD, Book, uh, Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, Bam, like I feel like we just got cheated out of a historic season. Well, already historic season could have been more. But you can't end us off, Deshaun. Do you feel MVP was the right choice or well, see, now that's a mixture of storylines, and I just don't know how well those play into voting when it comes down to it. Because, like, you mentioned, like, I mean, I, 
I don't know how much the voters are actually gonna like. You, you, you ask the Marcus cousins, or you ask like certain people. However, the voters that are actually a part of this, a mixture of different analysts and journalists and stuff like that. I'm not sure that the voting was exactly a pity party. I mean, Joel Embiid he shot nearly 55 percent from the field this year, and as Thomas mentioned earlier in the show, he's not just one of these paint masters. Joel Embiid he spaces the floor. He's got an excellent mid range shot. Like. I, like I'm uh, excellent. We we gonna call it excellent. Moving it out more to that three pointer. That's where it gets really, a little bit difficult for him. However, he's been able to show he can knock that down too. But Joel Embiid, and you gotta go check it out, man. I'm telling you, you go look at his shooting. I saw the team points game seven. I saw him. I saw the mid range. I saw how good it is. Go back two years ago and tell me that that the uh, Jokic wasn't getting bounced by Steph Curry, your team, and he, they had them looking dragged well, on the bench without Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray. What I mean, we could listen. We could pause. We could talk. Again, you have to remember that you're talking about forty. If he had two if, good if, games, if we're looking series. at Joel, yeah, yeah, and two games early in the season, and then he fell off for another two games. No, look, oh, you talking about that series? Yeah, yeah. Look, he may fail right. We're talking him. about Joel Embiid not having great postseason performance. Okay. James Harden literally has never had great postseason performance, and that never. was his partner in crime. Would never. No, like, you talking about his career? Yes. Never. I mean, it. he didn't put up forty points against the Warriors, and come on now, who won? never. Who won? I think the Rockets won. No, at not. least not the series, but a game. Who, who, who won that series? The Warriors. What Without Chris Paul. Then what does it matter? How many? Well, Your take was he's never had a good playoff he game. Never, that, he, no, he's never had a great postseason performance. He has not. So we gonna get to why we had fifty two men. You, you really we, are we gonna really do the research here? Because that that's just not true. I'm, it is true. It is objectively true. James Harden had two back to back games where he shot for like three for twenty two. Yeah, he played awful. He's not the best player on the team. What? James Harden not supposed to be the best player on that team, and, okay. and, and correct. Harden, most, Harden correct. almost had even bail him you out. To, you, you're forgetting that you're forgetting that Joel Embiid had an injury in last year's postseason as well. Harden did too. Oh no, he had one two years ago when he was still coming out of his stint with Philadelphia. He was perfectly healthy last year. He was perfectly. Fine. I think he injured himself again sometime after that. I could be wrong, no, but he I'm was sure. injured in the in the Philadelphia's first playoff stint when he got there the first time after mm-hmm. leaving Brooklyn. But he was perfectly fine in his last playoff series, regardless of the fact. I, Joel Embiid shot fifty five percent from the field, and as I said, he's got a great mid range shot. I don't a, a career high average of thirty three point one at fifty five percent. I think that's totally deserving of an MVP. Because then you also play the storyline of why well, I think we were robbed of a, uh, a historic. It was already a historic year. You mentioned that we totally give him his props. However, I don't think that MVP voters should be playing in. This could be his third MVP in a row. Should we vote for him? I don't think MVP voters should be. Joel Embiid didn't get it the last few years. Should we be voting for him? I think it's purely off the play of the game, and like I said, it it was a it was a very slight margin. But I just think that Joel Embiid, I wouldn't even call him the best center. Like I mean, like it, it's a it's a it, like because as Thomas mentioned, these guys aren't just centers anymore. So it's hard to like kind of give their demographic a best center. But it's I, I think he totally deserved MVP because you also add in the defensive side as well. I mean, he had a he had a spectacular offensive year. And his defensive presence is insane. He's a, he's a great paint defender. I mean, is he leagues above a better defender than Jokic? Yes. When Jokic is facilitating, scoring pretty much on the... So how I look at it as, let's say Embiid's the better scorer, which statistically is true, but I just look at it as if one is getting 33 and one is getting 29, 12, and 12, I mean, who's really the better scorer here? Like, if, if we're going off points, Embiid's averaging more points, but if Jokic... And I'm just throwing... I don't know the exact numbers, but if Jokic can score somewhat similarly while having double-digit assists and rebounds, one comes off as the better scorer for me, especially when they're um, um, making assists such an important part of their game. And then 
as far as Embiid, I mean, we can sit here and go back and forth all day. That hard take was crazy. But just we could be here for long. I don't know if you um if you putting up some specific to this conversation, but if not, then I mean, we we can continue yeah. this off off the mic. <laughs> we can save this for another time. We're, I'm looking at James Harden stuff right now. I don't worry about it. Okay. With that being said, anything else you want to end us off with, Tom? <laughs> I think you guys said it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for taking a seat at the table with us. My name is Anthony Brenton. I'm Deshaun Johnson. Thomas Cobb. And this has been the Sports Round Table Podcast. Thank you guys for listening.